Good morning. Please find Acts chapter 28 in your Bibles. That's where we're at today. We have come to the end of the book of Acts. And uh, 75 sermons since June 14th, 2015, I found out. And there's a reason our worship service, by the way, is focused, centered on the Word of God, because it is the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God. And we need it. We need God. We need His Word. And we have We've come to the end of the book of Acts here, and from the beginning of this book, where where Jesus was was commissioning his witnesses, when he was uh, sending them out, basically, to the end of of this book, where Jesus is continuing to use his witnesses for his purposes, what we've seen, and I hope it's the big takeaway you take away from the book of Acts, I hope that you have grasped this big main point, that, that Jesus works through his witnesses for his sovereign purposes, that, that Jesus works through faithful witnesses for purposes that only he could, could both plan as well as carry out. There is a universal truth that everyone needs to, to deal with at some point or another. They need to grasp this, they need to reckon with this truth, and, and it is this, unless and until you believe in the Lord Jesus and are saved, unless you turn from your sins and turn to Christ, you will always be searching and uh, striving and even sinking in sin that you are either going to either call troubles or discomfort or someone else's fault. And every one of us, we all, we all seek meaning in life, we all seek peace in life, we want to have a uh, significant life. We want to know that our life amounts for something. And the Bible is really clear that, that our hearts are restless until they rest in Christ. Until they find their rest in Christ. Psalm 62 verse 1 says, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. In fact, in that psalm, in verse 5, King David even talks to his own soul. And he says this, Yes, my soul, find rest in God. Augustine, in his Confessions, book 1, wrote this, Thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. So only in Jesus Christ is there true meaning in life. Only as you yield to his work in and through you, beginning in your heart and then flowing out into your life for his purposes. Other than that, you're not going to find true meaning in life. Now, a lot of people think that, um, that Acts just ends so abruptly. And they think, wow, it should have been a better ending. Like Paul should have been set free or something. And, and I'm glad that the ending is what it is because it's the one that God planned. And the reason why is because the story doesn't end at the end of the book of Acts. We shouldn't be closing the book and saying, well, that's it for that. This is the continuing story of Christ's work through his witnesses for his purposes. It continues on to this day. That Jesus is at work in his witnesses for his purposes. 
this is it. And so today we're in Acts 28, verses 17 through 31. It's continuing the story part two, the faithful witness. And we are going to see how Jesus works through his faithful witnesses to accomplish his purposes. And we're also going to see what a faithful witness actually does. So if you can, please stand with me. Some of you I know cannot, but if you can, please stand with me out of honor and reverence for God and his word. And I'm going to read, we're going to read these verses, uh, Acts 28, beginning at verse 17. This is God's word. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn. And I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And Lord, I pray that by your grace, you would grant strength to the weary today, freedom to captives, repentance to wandering, mercy to those who are suffering. Lord, I pray that you would grant great joy to your people today. Lord, that you would encourage the hearts of your people and even use me as, a, as an instrument of your grace we thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. So this is, um, this is kind of momentous. You know, we end a, a book and we've gone through. This, is a, a, this has been an adventure through an entire book. And we have 
gone verse by verse, chapter by chapter. In fact, some of you think that I forgot to read verse 29, didn't you? You're like, well, we missed a verse. We got to go back. It's because some of the, the earliest manuscripts do not have a verse 29. I've got a footnote in my Bible with 29. We'll, we'll look at it in a few moments. But this is volume two of church history written by Luke. It's the continuing story of Christ's work through his witnesses for his purposes. The Gospels recorded what Jesus did and taught. Acts recorded what Jesus continued to do and to teach. And Jesus is continuing to work, even now, even today. Acts traces the Gospels' growth, and the outline of the book is very simple. Verses, uh, excuse me, uh, chapters 1 through 8 was about the Gospels' growth in Jerusalem. Chapters 9 through 12 was about the Gospels' growth in Judea and Samaria, and then from chapter 13 to the end of the book, to, through chapter 28, the gospel's growth to the ends of the earth. Luke is a great historian, excellent historian. He gives an amazing focus on words and people because words and people matter. In chapters 1 through 12, Peter was the primary character. And then from chapter 13 onward, Paul is the primary character. And then from chapter 21 onward, Paul is a prisoner of Rome on his way to Rome. And now he's arrived in Rome. I want to remind you something about the book of Acts. I've said this so many times as I've preached Acts. Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive. It describes what God did. It doesn't prescribe what you need to do in every situation. It doesn't exactly tell you what to do. But it shows us many important truths in the context of this continuing story of Jesus at work. All the way through this entire book, Jesus calling his witnesses, indwelling his church, healing his people, inspiring gospel preaching, purifying his church and stretching his people and scattering his church and sending out his witnesses, choosing his instruments, speaking to many hearts. And as God speaks to many hearts, people repent of sin. And they respond to God, and then those believers go to all nations, and they serve God's purposes, and, and they navigate treacherous times that come their way. We've seen this over and over again through this book. And you see God opening hearts to the gospel. If you're not a believer today, and you say, I don't want Jesus, but I'm here, and please let me know about Jesus, because that's what you're going to get today. I would just say this, if you become a believer today, it's not because I said something just right to get you to believe, only God opens hearts to the gospel, only Jesus saves, that's very clear, but God opens hearts to the gospel, and you see this over and over, like he opens Lydia's heart to the gospel, right, but he, and then he builds gospel bridges, and he encourages his servants, because we can get really discouraged, can't we, and he provides for his people. He provides for us, and he loves his church, and he orchestrates his plan, the amazing plan of God, just orchestrated through so many moving parts, and he comforts his people. He comforts your heart today if you belong to him, and he rescues his people, but what you see in the book of Acts is as all these things are going on, and as God is doing all these things, people are refusing to repent. People refuse to believe. Here's Paul on trial before faithless Felix who refuses to repent even though he heard the gospel lots and lots of times. And then Paul boldly appeals to Caesar. He exercises his civic rights. 
And he testifies to both small and great, Agrippa, Herod, or any who will listen. And then you see him in chapter 27 surviving a perilous storm and promised shipwreck. You get into chapter 28, even a nasty bite by a venomous viper. He survives. Such an amazing story. All these things that are going on. And, and Jesus is preserving his witness. He's preserving Paul for his sovereign purposes. And Luke, who has recorded all of this, Luke is an eyewitness to all of it. He sees all of it in, in, first-hand, uh, in, in, in first-hand witnessing in terms of what's going on in chapter 28 and, and what happened in 27. He's there. He's on this journey with Paul, and they go from Caesarea to to Crete and Crete towards Malta and to the shores of Malta. They'd been adrift at sea in a life-threatening storm. And we saw God's power on display. God always leads us and gives us strength to lead, especially in crisis. And this is what Paul was doing, leading in crisis. And we saw that God always delivers us and he often rescues us from danger. And, and just like God said, everyone gets safely brought to land. And he always reassures his people with his word. Isn't it awesome that he reassures us with his word? By his spirit, through his word. And Paul didn't keep the word to himself. He said, no one's going to perish. It's going to be just like I was told. Just like God said. And we know that God always hears us. As believers, we know that he always hears our prayers. Here is Paul praying. Luke is praying. They're praying for daybreak. They're praying for thanking God for the food they're eating as they're on in this treacherous storm. And this is what we can do. We can pray. If you can't do anything else as a believer, you can pray. Men, women, boys, girls, brothers, sisters, moms, dads, husbands, wives, uh, workers, neighbors, coworkers, citizens, pray for the promises of God knowing that whatever happens, knowing that no matter what, your hope remains firm and fixed. It's, it's basically anchored in Christ because of the promises of God. This is what you can count on as a believer. So we're at the end of chapter 28 now, and it's all about the continuing story. It's all about continuing to serve God's purposes wherever God leads. And what we saw, and we saw this last week, in the first 16 verses of this chapter, that we saw the invincible Christian, basically, that Christians are invincible until Christ returns or calls them home, whichever comes first. And as invincible Christians, Jesus makes you courageous and compassionate and, and gives you connectedness in the body of Christ. You don't do these things on your own. We saw Paul engage in very significant ministry on Malta for three months in the winter, and now he is in Rome. Now he's in Rome. He has uh, survived severe mistreatment, storms, shipwrecks, snake bites to get there. And he's in Rome. Let's, let's talk about Rome for a minute. What's the context of Rome? Rome was the political, economic, and military center of the uh, you know, far-reaching Roman Empire. Uh, the seat of the government for the empire, the, the residence of the emperor who they worshipped as God. They worshipped the Caesars as God. Rome was the wealthiest, most Im important, you know, powerful city in the first century world. It sat along the banks of the Tiber River. It was 15 miles inland from the Tyrrhenian Sea. The city perimeter was just over 13 miles. It was divided into 14 regions. Uh, most famous was Circus Maximus and the Forum. Uh, the Forum was the head of the political 
religious economic life of Rome, the hub where all that was going on. They had the Senate building there. There was the Mamertine prison there. Paul was not there. Paul was in his own you know, rented apartment, chained to a soldier. But prisoners were held in the Mamertine prison uh, prior to execution. You might think of the Colosseum when you think of Rome. That wasn't completed until A.D. 80. It wasn't even there at this point. But throughout the whole city were temples dedicated to false gods. This is the Rome that Paul got to. Many deities and Caesars were worshipped. The entire pantheon of Roman gods, numerous Greek deities and Asian, Persian, Egyptian uh, deities, the goddess Roma, they worshipped the goddess Roma, and they worshipped the Caesars. Anyone who had been a Caesar and had died, they worshipped them as a god. He's in Rome where... There's a lot of wealth, but the interesting thing about Rome at this point is that only a small percentage of the people that were living in Rome actually enjoyed the wealth of the city. There were many slaves, many poor people living there, and they dwelled in these large blocks of apartments that were literally three to five stories high, just packed in. There were as many as two million people at this point in Rome, and there were as many as 200,000 of them that were on government welfare, who basically they provided grain for the unemployed masses. Most of the people there were very poor. Now, four years after Paul arrived in the city, uh, 10 of the 14 districts burned to the ground. Nero took this opportunity to blame uh, the Christians, and so began horrible persecution of believers under Nero. But Rome is where Paul wanted to go and preach the gospel because Rome is the place that Jesus promised Paul he was going to go and preach the gospel. And he has a soldier to guard him, uh, no longer assigned to uh, Julius the Centurion. He's chained by the wrist uh, to an ordinary soldier. And the people know, I'm sure after speaking to Julius, those who are guarding him know he's not a dangerous criminal, he's not a flight risk, not going to go anywhere, these people aren't going to, you know... uh, get him to try to escape and, you know, do that. And, and so he gets to Rome and he's there. And, and look at verse 17. Pick up the story with me at verse 17. Paul wastes no time. There's no moss growing under Paul's feet. After three days, he calls a meeting with the local Jewish leaders. He's unable to travel to synagogues to present his case for Christ, so he boldly invites the Jews to come to him. Now, the Jews are going to come to him. The leaders of the Jews are going to come to him. It was not easy being a Jew living in Rome in those days, in the first century. Anti-Jewish sentiment had reached a a boiling point when uh, the emperor Tiberius had basically expelled all the Jews from the city in A.D. 19. Now Claudius did the same thing in A.D. 49, and he issued his edict eight years before Paul wrote his letter to the Romans, 11 years before Paul entered the city here. Now by the time that Paul gets to Rome, around A.D. 60, there were probably at least 20 to 30,000 Jews living in Rome. They had come back in. There had been a Jewish presence in Rome um, from about the second century B.C. Uh, The population had grown under uh, Pompey after he conquered Judea and Jerusalem in 63 B.C. Uh, They brought many, many Jews back into Rome, and they sold them as slaves. Now, as the years went on, many got freed and were granted Roman citizenship. Many lived in a Jewish ghetto called Travisphere, in the 14th district across from the Tiber. This is the Rome that Paul came to. And they gathered to him. They came to his place, gathered to hear him, and he now gives his sixth and final defense that's in the book of Acts. 
And he starts by saying brothers. Now, they're not Christians. They're Jews. He's a fellow Jew with them. And he says, look, I didn't do anything wrong against the, the, my people. I didn't do anything wrong against the core convictions of Judaism. You know, I strenuously object to any of the false charges. I deny all of them. But yet, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem over to the Romans. Verse 18, he says, they examined me. They wanted to free me. Key point, they wanted to free me because there's no reason for the death penalty for me. But the Jews objected, verse 19 tells us. So he says, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. I kind of had to do it. But, they had, but I had no charge to bring against my people. So he declares his right as a Roman citizen to stand trial in Rome. And then he says, verse 20, this is why I've asked to come talk to you. Why you need to talk to me. I want to speak with you. And he gives them the reason why. It's because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. I'm, I'm doing this, I'm here, not because I've done anything wrong, but because of the hope of Israel. A, a belief that Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel's messianic hope, that he was born, that God incarnate was born and he lived and he died and he was buried and he rose from the dead and that there will be a future resurrection. He's like, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm wearing this chain. You can just see the chain dangling as he lifted it up. The, 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 the soldier's gonna, you know, gotta get moved over there. Can you imagine being the soldier chained to Paul for those two years? And I hope he became a believer. I hope the gospel was sweet to him. I hope it wasn't putrid. I know the gospel is putrid to unbelievers many times, but I hope that he was a believer. Then in verse 21, they give him some very interesting news. They're like, uh, we haven't heard anything bad about you. <laughs> Nothing. We've got no dirt on you. No one coming here has reported anything evil about you. Isn't that surprising that the Jerusalem authorities have never made contact with the leaders of the Jewish community in Rome about Paul? Now, my guess is it's only going to be a matter of time before they get some news. But they say to him in verse 22, we want to hear what you have to say, though. There's nothing about you that we know, but we do know that this sect that you're a part of, basically this, this way that you're a part of, this following of Jesus that you do, we know that that is spoken against everywhere. Everywhere. So we want to hear you. So they arrange a meeting on a certain day, verse 23, and they, they all show up in large numbers, greater numbers than they expected, attracting a lot of people, SRO, standing room only. They, they've got to just you know, get in there, and, and here's what happens. From morning till evening, from sunup to sundown, Paul expounds to them, speaks to them, testifying to the kingdom of God, and explains the gospel in light of God's redemptive purposes and his unfolding plan, and they're just, they're listening all day long. The kingdom of God, the sphere of salvation, the sphere of God's gracious domain of rule in the hearts of his people. And he is trying to convince them. He is trying to convince them Jesus is who the prophets, the law and the prophets testified to, promised. That Jesus fulfills the meaning and the promises of the law and the prophets. And he recites passages from Genesis to Malachi, and he would have known some of these by heart. 
and explains how they are uniquely fulfilled in Christ alone. His method of Jewish evangelism was to take the Old Testament and show them Christ. Verse 24 tells us some were convinced. Some said, wow, I believe. I believe in Jesus. But others say, no, we don't believe. Typical response when Paul goes to a synagogue. Now they're at his place, and the same thing kind of happens. And they disagree. I'm not surprised. Verse 25, they're disagreeing amongst themselves. They're having an argument now. And they say, we're out of here. This meeting's over. And they're leaving. They're leaving. And then Paul makes one statement that must have just burned them up. One statement. One, one final parting shot. He says, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. He's name-checking the prophet. And he's saying, you know what this reveals, by the way? Paul's belief in the divine inspiration of Scripture and the authority of Scripture the Holy Spirit was right, speaking to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. So, so they're leaving. They're, they're leaving, and Paul says one thing, this one statement to the unconvinced, that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel. He gives them Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. You can look it up in Isaiah, or you can read it here in Acts. It's a quote. What is this about? Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 speaks to the unresponsiveness of God's people to divine revelation because of the hardness of their hearts. Pure and simple. Now Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Christ appeared. His message basically boiled it down in a nutshell was repent and turn to God. Turn from your sin to God. This is the gospel message here. We have gone our own way. We need to turn to God and go turn in his way. And here's God speaking and people are either going to reject or repent. You hear the word of God, you're either going to reject it or you're going to you know, rejoice in it and repent of your sins. Now, some people might think, wow, was he just like saying, well, if you're leaving, I'm going to really insult you. No, he's being so compassionate and so clear and so bold. Imagine the compassion of Paul who wants them to know the truth, that maybe they would even turn when they hear this. Paul follows the example of Jesus, who is, as he put it, gentle and humble in heart. Jesus gave these very words to hostile Jews. When Paul wrote to the, the book of Romans a few years earlier before this, he attributed the Jews' response to hard hearts, Romans 11, 7 and 8. So here's what it says, verse 22. Go to this people and say, you're going to hear, you won't understand. You're going to see, but you're not going to get it. Your heart's grown dull, your ears can barely hear, your eyes you've closed, and... You don't want to see with your eyes, and you don't want to hear with your ears, and you don't want to understand with your heart and turn. And you don't want the healing that I am offering. See, if all these things would have happened, they would have been healed, they would have been saved, they would have been redeemed. And so then Paul says in verse 28, I'm just telling you right here, this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. Now they really want to throw up. Now the hated Gentiles, the despised Gentiles, the, the, the unclean, and Paul says, they will listen. Now, I don't know about you, but I just want to say a big amen, praise God, that God gave the Gentiles the gospel because pretty much most of us here are Gentiles. Can you just say amen, praise God for the gospel that he gave it to Gentiles? 
And then verse 29 that may or may not have been there. When he spoke of these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. I'm not surprised. I'm sure that happened. And then verse 30, he lived two whole years at his own expense, welcoming all who came to him. He's not closing the door on anybody. Now, he was a little bit of a captive, a captive presenter of the gospel. They're coming to him. They, they want to hear. It was probably during these two years that Luke wrote Acts. Now, some say this is an abrupt ending. You know, verse 31, he proclaims, he preaches the kingdom of God and teaches, instructs about Jesus Christ with all boldness, without hindrance. They're like, well, you know, that's not the best ending in the world. I'm so glad that God said this was the ending because this is not the end. It's just the beginning. It's the commencement. The story continues. It continues to this day. Jesus is using his witnesses for his purposes today, right now. Right this very moment. So what does this say about Christ's work through faithful witnesses? What, what, is this, what does this say about what a faithful witness does? And I want to I give you five things that a faithful witness does that I see right here in this passage that, that Paul is doing, and it's something God wants us to do. There are things God wants us to do. What does a faithful witness do? First of all, a faithful witness exalts Christ. Exalts Christ. Proclaims Christ, preaches Christ, teaches Christ. Verse 31, he proclaimed, he preached the kingdom of God. He, he, he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ, and he did it boldly. He did it without hindrance. He was confident. No one was forbidding him to speak. A new one for Paul. I'm sure he's helped by his fellow workers. He's evangelizing Rome as Rome is coming to him. Jesus is the main point of everything. Jesus is your life. If you're a believer, Jesus is your life. He is your life. Acts 14 tells us that God opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Praise God. Acts 15 tells us that all who are saved are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. So if you're not saved today, turn to Jesus and be saved, and you'll be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. He who, though he was rich, became poor. He who went after lost sinners, who, who initiated towards us so that we wouldn't die forever in hell. Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 was about Jesus too, by the way. In a John the baptist -y kind of way, kind of a forerunner kind of way, because Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 jumpstarts the string of prophecies of Christ's first coming all the way through to his exaltation and return in Isaiah 7, 14, all the way to 62, 11. Isaiah's talking all about Jesus. And with a faithful witness of Christ needs to, with pinpoint accuracy and intent on the gospel, exalt Christ. To exalt Christ, you can't be a secret Silent, speechless disciple of Christ. Let me point out a second thing that a faithful witness does. A faithful witness explains scripture, expounds scripture. Like Paul took Isaiah 6, 9 and explaining the, 
6, 9, and 10, and explaining and applying it to them. That's why he takes the law and the prophets and just basically lays it all out and says, here's how it shows Christ, how the Holy Spirit was right, how there's the inspiration of Scripture, how, by the way, one of the things that Paul did while he was imprisoned here is write letters. From his Roman apartment, chained to a soldier, he writes... Colossians and Philemon and Ephesians and, and maybe Philippians. Amos, the prophet Amos, tells us there would be a famine in the land for hearing the word of God. A famine in the land for hearing the word of God. Now there is a famine in our land for hearing the word of God. Not in here. You are hungry for the word of God. You are here for the word of God. You've you got many opportunities to hear the word of God. But there is a famine in our land for hearing the word of God. And somehow people think that you only hear the word of God in church. People need to hear the word of God out there where you live and work and play and engage and where you have keys and passcodes that no one else has where you can get into places so that people can hear the word of God explained and how their life could actually make sense because of Jesus. And it, there's a famine going on. People are starving for the word of God. Now, you might not have people begging you. For the word. All right, you know, Paul has people coming to him with the word. I'm guessing they're not knocking on your door. Can you please give me the gospel? My guess is that you need to do what Acts 5 told says, speak to the people all the words of this life. That's what we need to do. Again, in our, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schoolrooms, everywhere we go, we need to explain to the people the words of this life. Explain the word everywhere. Acts 8, Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch. Here's the Ethiopian eunuch looking at Isaiah 53 and saying what? Help me understand. Please help me understand this. And Paul starts Philip starts from right there and preaches Jesus to him. Preaches Jesus to him. Acts 9. Acts 9. Paul becomes a brand new believer and immediately he starts preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. Let's just say that you walked into this room today and you weren't a believer. And let's just say, even already or maybe by the end, you're going to say, no, I believe in Jesus. I've been ruining my life and other people's lives. I need Jesus. And you can go out the doors and start boldly proclaiming Christ. You don't need a certificate. You don't need a badge. You don't need a degree. You just go. What about Acts chapter 10? Cornelius' household. Now, there's one. We're all here, Peter, in the presence of God to hear everything that God wants you to tell us. Again, people might not be busting your door down for that message. But Peter spoke to Gentiles in a Gentile home. You got to explain the word. You want to be a faithful witness, you got to explain the word. You got to get to the word. The word is pure. Psalm 19 tells you all about the word. The word is pure, it's powerful, it's perfect. And the spirit, the spirit explains it as you expound it. At your work, in your home, in the workplace, community, church, everywhere you go. How to explain scripture. Exalt Christ, explain scripture. 
third thing that a faithful witness does. A faithful witness engages people in the process. Paul welcomed all who came to him. Everyone didn't turn to Jesus. Some were persuaded and became believers, but sadly, many simply would not believe and just walked away. This is what is going to happen. Because of the hardness of the heart to the gospel, God gave them over to their unbelief, and Paul let them know the salvation of God is being sent to everyone. They're going to listen. There are going to be people who will listen. By the way, Paul's ministry in Rome was so profound that uh, Philippians 1, 12, and 13 tell us that all the Roman guards around the governor's palace learned of Christ. You have an effect. You, you, have a, you start exalting Christ and explaining scripture, and you're engaging people in the process. There's a contagious effect. Here is Rome, a multi-ethnic cosmopolitan city of around 2 million people. And there were Italians there. <laughs> lots and lots of Italians. As well as Greeks and Asians and Syrians and Persians and Egyptians and North Africans and Spaniards and, and even Germans. And more. Multi-ethnic. We live in a multi-ethnic setting. You cannot close your eyes to this. You must embrace it. You must look around. And you see we are in a multi-ethnic world. A lot of people want to live in a protective bubble with their own kind and operate only inside of that. Sorry, but you're a world citizen. You're a citizen of the world. Recognize the world has come to us. It's been happening for a long, long time. My grandfather came over from Italy when he was 15 years old, right through Ellis Island. Jesus said, John 10, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. There is one church of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 5 verses 9 and 10 if you want to look at those. There's a song that was sang, a new song that's, that's, that's going to be sung and that will be sung forever. And here it is, to Jesus. It's a song to Jesus. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You see, Jesus will be worshipped by people of every people group. How does this encourage you to be motivated to evangelize or even how about to forgive, to start with forgiving and relate to fellow humans as fallen humanity together? You know, Bruce Wetterholm went to Jesus. I, I remember him sitting right down over here, uh, actually standing and singing at the top of his lungs in the most off-key way. And I can just hear him now singing and it's just praise God. This was a simple man who simply loved Jesus and other people. And I know I'm not the only one that got a birthday call every year on my birthday. How many of you got a birthday call every year on your birthday? Praise God that God put Bruce amongst us for the years he let us be together. You know, we got all sorts of groups in this church, home groups, Bible class, all sorts of things. I think we should call them community groups or missional community groups or something because don't just go and enjoy the flock. Invite someone that you live near. I got home group tonight at my house. I'm thinking, when was the last time I invited one of my neighbors to come on in? 
you've got to risk connecting with people. And you will get hurt. So, I mean, I hate to be, you know, unsympathetic. A.W. Pink said of Jesus, Christ hid not his face from shame and spitting. Why? Because as guilty criminals, as convicted outlaws, as the vilest of wretches, that is what our sins deserved. When before his accusers he did not speak, making no reply to the charges brought against him, why? Because though personally innocent, he occupied the place of guilty sinners. That's you and me. So remember Jesus went there for you so that you could go places for him. Engage the population. A lot of people. Think about who you encounter on a daily basis. How can you explain the truths of Jesus and the gospel in, a, in, a con, in that context in ways that people can understand? Two more, and then we'll be done. A faithful witness exerts energy, uh, uses a lot of energy and a lot of effort for Jesus and the gospel. Paul worked really hard at ministry. He persisted in spite of response. In fact, Paul, you know, being so faithfully gospel-centered, interacting with people with that focus, he's able to say in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, I worked harder than all of them. I wasn't working for merit. He was working because God had changed his heart by grace, and as you're saved by grace, you live by grace and serve by grace. He says, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I. It was the grace of God in me. So your faithfulness in serving does not create the outcome. God works in and through you. According to his predetermined plan, you just need to be available, be willing. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus said, beg me to send out workers into my harvest of souls. That might be the hardest work. That might be the most effort you exert is in prayer, begging Jesus to send you and others out. Make it as bold. What if you say, but I have a difficult field. You don't understand. My field is very difficult. My home, my office, my schoolroom, my community environment is difficult. People are hardened to the gospel. Well, let me just say this, and I'm only going to say it once. Difficult fields don't deter determined disciples from God-designed work. Think of Hudson Taylor and Adoniram Judson and others. I love the way Paul put it. When I came to you, I did not come to you with lofty speech, proclaiming the testimony of God. I didn't come to you with my own wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My words were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and power so that your faith would not rest in the, in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. I have got a beloved mentor and pastor friend who has served faithfully for many years and is down to his last five Sundays preaching to his congregation. He's struggling. He, he, he recently said to me, I'm dealing with anxiety. I told him I was praying for him and he said, I'm being truthful. I battled it for years. It's gotten worse the last three years. Anxiety and stress. And then he says, praise God for his hand of protection over these years. You see, God uses broken jars of clay to show his glory. We're not strong. We're needy. It's a high calling to, to serve Jesus, isn't it? Isn't it awesome to serve Jesus? Psalm 100, verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. I just want you to hear something from me. 
for those of you that are really engaged in serving in Jesus' name everywhere you go. You probably don't hear this very often. Thank you for serving in Jesus' name. God sees what you are trying to do, what you're doing. So do whatever he's giving you to do with all your might, according to his power that works in you. Last, a faithful witness expects a good outcome. Expects results. Assured of God's will, prays expectantly, and, and like Paul says, let it be known to you that God's salvation is sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. The faithful witness keeps going with re, without regard to the response and the results. Uh, whether there be no fruit on the vine, you've you got to leave the results to God. And we, we all know that like storm clouds, uh, dis, discouragement and depression can set in on us when we're trying to just serve the Lord and we can be tempted to quit. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, there's no temptation that is overtaking you, but as such as is common to man. You're, you're not going through the worst thing that anyone has ever gone through because it's common to all of us. We're all going through this. And I don't think you know what you're made of until you go through the testing. It's common to man. Charles Spurgeon encouraged his flock with these words. You may think, my dear brothers and sisters, that you have been tried more than any other, but it is only your lack of knowledge of the trials of others which leads you to imagine that yours are unique. There are many others besides yourself in the furnace, and it is quite as hot, and in quite a hot part of it as that in which you are now placed. God knows where he is leading you. He knows what he is doing in you and through you, and he knows your distress, and he knows your discouragement, and your depression, and your downcast spirit, and he is taking heart of you that are brokenhearted. He's taking heed. He is taking note, and he, is, he lifts up those who are bowed down. This is what God does. This is what God does. He sovereignly and providentially orchestrates everything, and he knows you, and he loves you, and he cares for you, and he is he's carrying you. You can expect God to move in the midst of painful situations and circumstances. And, and it's even possible to be joyful in the process, in the painful process of progressive sanctification. The one thing you gotta do is stay in the lanes and don't swerve out from the truth. Anchored in the living and abiding word of God. Anchored in Christ. This is it, okay? We've seen what a faithful witness actually does. Exalts Christ, the, the risen and returning Christ. Explains scripture, the authoritative word of God. Engages people, God's sovereign purposes. Exerts energy. You're his chosen witness. You gotta work hard. And expect results. The Holy Spirit will do it. I'll end with this, the thought for which I started. Christ works through his faithful witnesses to accomplish his sovereign purposes in and through your life. If not for the mercy and grace of God, we would we'd be toast, <laughs> but we are free to serve his purposes because we've been set free from sin. And it's true. You are able to bring God's truth to bear in every nook and cranny of life, even in, into the darkest places. That's where the gospel shines the brightest. And just remember, your heart is restless until it finds its rest in Christ. Your soul must find rest in God alone. We are not always faithful to our calling, but there is one reason why we could even have a shred of faithfulness that could come out of our life, and it's because of Revelation 1.5. Jesus is the faithful witness. 
He is the faithful witness. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, firstborn of the dead, ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. To him be all praise and glory and honor so you can serve Jesus with joy. Enjoy uh, the journey with Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that that is possible only because of your grace, only because of your mercy. We, we seek your guidance and blessing and strength. And we pray in Christ's name, amen.